1 Samuel chapter number 22, verse number 1. The Word of God says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Agilom. When his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. He became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Now look at verse number 5. I want you to notice this carefully. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Herath. Now let's read that verse 5 once more and we'll pray. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Herath. Lord, I love you this morning. I thank you for loving me. I pray that you'd speak to hearts, Lord. It is beyond my capability to do in hearts that which is necessary to draw us closer to you, to bring forth from us a greater commitment, to cause us to walk closer to you, Lord, to cause us to do more for you. Lord, it's beyond me. I cannot speak to the heart, but only to the ears. But I pray this morning that you give us ears to hear, give us hearts to listen, and I pray that we would be drawn closer to you. Lord, again, we love you. We thank you for loving us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a fairly familiar portion of the life of David. David is being pursued by King Saul. And he has escaped and he has gone unto a place called the Cave of Agilom. Uh, there were psalms, of course, written while he was in the cave of Agilom. Uh, you'll hear a lot of preaching. In fact, I think probably just a month or two we preached out of that psalm and talked about being in the cave and how it was a dark and difficult place and how it was a, an isolating place. But I'm glad that when we're in those places in life, the Lord is not far from us. He does not forsake us. I'm glad the Lord is present to deal and work in our lives. But I want to take just a few moments this morning and look at this narrative and instance from maybe a little bit different perspective. You see, when we look at the cave, we always think of it as being a negative place, and certainly there is that application. But can I just remind you this morning that of all the places David could have gone, he himself chose to go to the cave of Agilom. Evidently, David saw some sort of safety there, saw some sort of comfort there, saw some kind of peace there in the cave of Agilom. Uh, you know, it reminds me in verse 5 of the importance of living for the Lord when the prophet Gad makes this statement to him. And we read it a couple times, but notice it again. The prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Now, it's interesting that this word hold is used. Uh, it's clear from the context that it's talking about the cave of Agilom. But when Gad speaks to David, he does not say, don't abide in the cave. He says, David, don't abide in the hold. I find that language interesting because it would have been just as easy or easier for him to use the word cave. But he is very deliberate to call the cave of Agilom a hold. And I got to looking at what that word means. Uh, you know, as you look at that word in the most literal sense of the definition of it, the word hold literally means a net. The same kind of net that a fisherman might use to throw over fish, or the same kind of net uh, that a person might use to strap something down uh, to an uh, animal of burden as they were traveling. And whenever Gad looks at David, he says, David, you need to get out of the net. 
that you're in in life. You know, it reminds me of this, and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. There are two kinds of nets. There are safety nets and there are snaring nets. It might be that we look at something and see it's a safety net, but when God looks at it, He sees a snaring net. You see, David thought he found a place of comfort here in the cave. But when God views it, instead of seeing it as a place of blessing, He says through the prophet Gad, David, you have ensnared yourself, you are bound up in this cave that you find yourself in. You know, the same word hold is oftentimes used connected to a prison. In fact, you might, I don't know, there might be some people know what it's like to be at the county jail in here this morning. I don't know. You don't have to testify, amen, but uh, there might be some people know what that's like. And you might have been grabbed by a police officer and taken down to the prison. And before they ever pass judgment upon you, they put you in a temporary place. But that place oftentimes is called a holding cell. You know, David, when he looked at the uh, cave, he saw a place of refuge. But when God looked at it, he said, David, this is a place of hiding and a place of prison. Here's my basic theme this morning. Preachers will tell you this and theological books will tell you this, that when you preach, you ought to get up, say what you're going to preach, say it, and then say what you just preached. I'm going to say what I'm going to preach this morning. Far too many of us were stuck in the hold. Far too many of us have let things get into our life that we have become so ensnared in and so entrapped in. And we see it as a safety net. But when God looks at it, He sees it as a snaring net. Let me say, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable in life. But God didn't call us to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with being happy in your circumstances in life. But God didn't call us to happiness. He called us to holiness. You see, you can be comfortable, you can be happy, you can have security as far as what this world says, but if that prevents you from serving God and living for Him, then you may see it as a safety net that protects you from life circumstances, but God sees it as a snaring net that protects you or prevents you from the will of God for your life. You know, you know why a lot of people don't, and I'm just going to speak honestly, is that okay? I'm just going, it's a rainy day, everybody's in a bad mood anyway, so I might as well just be honest. You know why we don't have more people called to the mission field? Because people say, oh, I could never do that. Why could you never do that? What rule book was written down that said, you, insert your name, you could never do that? You know, part of the reason we don't have young men called to preach like we used to have, because too many young men are sitting there going, oh, I can't do that. I got news for you. I do it. Yeah, listen, I'm not going to say there aren't difficulties, but you can look at me and understand that you don't have to be smart, you don't have to be talented, you don't have to be charismatic, you don't have to be good looking. If you'll just be able and willing, if you will have yourself available to the Lord, then He'll use you, whatever your situation or condition is. See, the reality is a lot of us, we're not doing anything for God because we're stuck in the hold. We've got things in our life that we've set up and we've said, I'll not cross that boundary. I'll not give that up. I'll not go that far. I'll not step out in faith. And because of that, we're going to die in the hold, having never done anything for God. David is being exhorted in this passage to not waste away his life hiding in some cave, but to get out and do something for the Lord. And let me exhort you this morning to get out and do something for the Lord. Don't spend your whole time living in complacency, being distracted with every little matter of the world. we got a real problem with priorities today. we got time for everything, but we ain't got time for God. And I'm not talking about the lost secular humanists out there that's cursing God and shaking his fist at I'm talking about church folks. We've got time for everything. But then when it comes time to serving God, well, I just ain't got time for that. The problem is we're in the hold. We've let other things get a hold of us. 
And we've let things prevent us from giving all to the Lord. You realize when God saved you, He gave everything? So how are you going to look at God and only give part? Only give something? And the bad thing about it is usually it's not just that we give give something, it's that we give anything. It's not usually... At the half, I, I told you, it's rainy. We're going to preach today. I have already resigned myself to, to the fact that we are not going to have a backflipping glory, hallelujah, service today. Amen? I understand. It, it, you know, Baptists, they're like gunpowder. They get wet, that's it. They aren't going to fire. So I've already made my mind up about that today. So we're just going to be real honest this morning. And if we're being real honest this morning, the problem is we have time for everything, but we ain't got time for God. And because of that, we're wasting our life away instead of doing something that matters. I want you to think about three thoughts with me this morning, and then we'll close. I want you to consider, first off, the lore of the cave. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't hang out in caves. I, I, I know there's people who like to go out and they go hiking and stuff and they like to explore. And there's even people that, that they're called spelunkers go down in caves. You know that's a dumb profession with a name like spelunker. Amen? Spelunker, that's the noise you make when you hit the ground when that rope breaks. You go spelunker. And people explore caves. But, you know, that's sort of an unusual thing. Most people don't hang out in caves. And, in fact, David, for the rest of his life, didn't really spend time in caves. But at this point in his life, something so unappealing as a cave could lure him and cause him to stay there. What was so luring about it? I want you to think about three things about this cave. Notice, number one, it was a place for David of comfort. Now, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, preacher, how could a cave be a place of comfort? Uh, They didn't have Wi-Fi. They didn't have air conditioning, right? They didn't have couches. Uh, You know, they didn't have TV. Well, I got news for you. Back then, they didn't have none of that anyway. Amen? The comfort that he experienced was not a comfort in the sense of creature comforts, but the comfort he experienced was this, that he had everything he felt like he needed in that cave. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Agilum. Notice what it says. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. The cave was a place of comfort because he had those that he loved the most around him. Now, let me say this this morning. I'm not preaching against being around your family. Amen? I don't know what your family's like. Maybe I should be. But I'm not preaching against being around your family. I'm not preaching against having people you love around. But here's what I am trying to get you to understand. David was comfortable in this place because he thought he had everything he needed there. You know, it's amazing how much time we spend trying to make this life as palatable as we possibly can. And I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me this morning. We all do this. We work our fingers to the bone. We labor. We travail. We do everything we can to provide a nice home that's going to burn up, nice clothes that's going to burn up, a nice car that's going to burn up, or if you're just like mine, it's going to break down. Amen? We labor. We invest. Do you understand that time is a commodity of which no more is being made? You know why real estate continues to get more valuable? Because they ain't making no more of it. I got news for you. Time's the same way. Time, there's not, there's not any more time being made. You can't go down to a factory and buy an extra ten years for your life. What time that you have is the time that you have. How are you spending it? How are you investing it? David, he was satisfied just to stay in the cave because he had everything he thought he needed. Here's the uh, sad truth though. God had so much more for him, but he had to leave the cave first. You know, if you're ever gonna serve God, you're gonna have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to do things you think you're not wired for. You're going to have to do things that you think are beyond your capability. That's why this is a faith thing. Part of the problem is we want the will of God to fit within a box of what we're comfortable with. 
But the truth of the matter is, we're not even really serving God until we're doing things we couldn't do but by grace. We say, well, I'm just not cut out for that. Well, that don't mean nothing. God chooses the people that ain't cut out for it, and He cuts everything out around them and makes them cut out for it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 says, God has chosen the uh, small things and the foolish things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. The thing that's keeping you from serving God is not your pedigree. The thing that's keeping you from serving God is not your resume. The thing that's keeping you from serving God is your unwillingness to get out of the cave and do something. You have to be willing to. This is a place of comfort. For David. Let me say number two, this is a place of convenience for David. Notice the next couple of verses. The Bible says this, and this you almost have to get a map out to understand the impact of this. You know, I heard somebody tell me one time that if you ever buy a history book that ain't got maps in it, throw it away. And uh, a map will help you so often in the Word of God as you study it. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and there were with him about 400 men. Let me say this was a place of concealment as well. Everybody in the land of Israel that uh, would cast their lot in with David. And you know what I've learned? I've learned this. Not everybody's there because they love you. That's just the truth. Not everybody's there because they love you. Some people are there because there's debts they're running away from. Some people are there because there's distress they're running away from. But you know what David found? He found that the cave was a pretty good place to hide away and do nothing. Listen carefully to me this morning. You know what the greatest enemy of great is? The greatest enemy of great is not bad. The greatest enemy of great is good. Part of our problem is that we've given up God's best for, uh, for the second best. Very rarely will a person give up God's best for the devil's worst. But it's pretty easy for people to give up God's best for what's second best. A second-rate life. And you know, a lot of people, you know what they're doing? They're hiding in a second-rate Christian life. Now, they're not hiding from you and me. They're hiding from themselves and they're trying to hide from God. You know how they're doing that? By saying, well, hey, I serve. Well, hey, I try to do what's right. Well, hey, I go to church. Well, that's good, man. God bless you. I think you ought to try to do that. I think you ought to serve. I think you ought to be in church. But if the sum total of your walk with God is just those handful of things, i got news for you. God has greater things for you. And you're missing out. A lot of reason. And I'm not against big churches. Um, it's easy to be against big churches when you ain't got one. You know? And I've tried to resist that temptation because, I mean, you get around other small pastors. Uh, there are no small pastors, amen. Uh, no, there are no small churches. They're just small pastors, amen. But, you know, a lot of times you get around other small church pastors. And, man, they just start ripping on any church that's got more than 200 people in it, you know. Uh, the danger is maybe one day they'll be running more than 200. Then what are they going to say? Then it's going to be 400. Then it's going to be 600. But I do recognize this. A lot of the reason people do go to larger churches is they're looking for a cave to hide in. Uh, let me tell you something. You go to church in a place like this long enough and you're involved enough, eventually somebody's going to ask you to do something. Hope you're comfortable with that. Eventually somebody's going to come up and say, Hey, there's a need to be met. Will you step in? Will you meet that need? And a lot of times the reason that people go, not everybody and not every church is what, but a lot of the reason that some people go to larger churches is because they can go in, they can slip in, they can slip out. Nobody knows they were there. Nobody notices if they're not there. It's a good place to hide. But guess what? People whose approach and attitude towards Christianity that is that, they never do anything for God. You know why? Because they go to church to get out of church. If they serve, they're just serving to get it over as quick as they can and to get out i got news for you this morning. We're not going to get anything out of church until church gets into us. 
until we get to the place where we're not. And I think we're pretty good time-wise. I mean, we ain't like the Methodists. I understand that. All right, they're already at the Shoney's. I understand that. But we try to be mindful. But understand something this morning, and I can say this honest before the Lord. I don't believe I have ever intentionally tried to drag a sermon. I don't believe I've ever intentionally tried to cut one out. We got a clock up here. I got a secret for you. When you're standing behind the pulpit, you can't see that clock. That clock is there to make you feel good about how long I'm preaching. That clock ain't there to change how long I preach. I can't even see it, okay? I don't wear a watch, amen? I got a, I got a cell phone, and it sits over there. But listen, until you get to the place that when you come to church, you're coming to get in, not to get out, you're not going to get anything out of it. As long as it's just counting down the seconds, and I think we ought to be punctual, and I think we ought to be time-sensitive as much as the Holy Ghost will let us be. I don't think we should be obnoxious in the way that we conduct a church service. But understand, we ain't here to do a duty. We're here to meet with the Holy God. And as such, listen, this ain't a place to come and hide. This is a place to come and get involved and get serving and get busy doing the Lord's work. I believe he enjoyed the cave because it was a place of concealment. Saul couldn't find him there. But guess what? Nobody else could either. We find not only was a place of concealment. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is what I was speaking of about the map earlier. It says, And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hole. David is placed with a problem. He's faced with a, with a difficulty. He can live in that cave, but Jesse and, and his mama, they can't live in that cave. They can't stay there. They're old. They're infirm. It's impossible for him to. So you know what he does? He goes to Mizpah Moab, and he goes to the king, and he says, Listen, king, will you take my parents in? Will you watch over them while I'm living in the cave? And uh, by doing that, you'll do a great favor to me. And then, I, you know, one of these days when God settles it, then, I, then I'll get things took care of. If you look on a map, you know what you'll find? You'll find here was Saul in his camp. You'll find here was David in, in the cave of Agilom. And you'll find way down here was Mizpah of Moab. You know what he had done? He had constructed a situation in which he could go down, see his parents, come back, stay in the cave, and never have to go towards Saul's camp. You know, I, I, I would give this word to it. The, the cave for him was a place of convenience. It's convenient. I mean, hey, listen, he could just go, slip out, see his mom and daddy. He didn't have to worry about him. He didn't have to worry what was going to happen. It was easy. He was young. He was strapping. He was vibrant. He could stay in the cave. He had men around him to protect him. He could go down and check on them and never have to face his problems. He was in a place of convenience. Let me tell you something. One of the greatest killers of passionate Christianity today is convenience. We live in a day where everything's convenient. We're willing to use radiation to cook our food because it's convenient. Soak that in for just a moment. I mean, this is the same stuff that made Superman fly, right? If I've got my comic books right or something. I don't know. I don't read comic books. This is the same stuff that gives people tumors. And it's the same stuff they use oftentimes to kill tumors. And we'll take a baked potato and put it in there and push a button. We're willing, and I'm not preaching against microwaves. I've got a microwave in my house. But I'm illustrating this, that we're willing to do anything if it's more convenient. You know what the driving principle behind most church growth movement today is? Is convenience. Let's have 800 different campuses. Let's have 800 different ministries. Let's have 800 different services. Lest any poor pitiful person have to get up before 11 o'clock in the morning lest anybody have to drive more than three miles to get to church. And it's killed. Is the church getting stronger or is it getting weaker? 
You know what part of the problem is? And I'm guilty as a pastor. Can I tell you that? I'm guilty as a pastor. Part of our problem is we don't expect enough out of people. We do everything we can to make it as convenient as possible. And in doing so, we kill any commitment and passion that they once had. That thing of convenience, it'll kill your walk with the Lord. And it gets to the place where you, you, you get to a point where you won't do anything unless it's on the way. On the way. And by the way, you know what the king of Moab was doing? He was enabling David staying in the cave of Agilent by letting them stay there. Uh, you know, oftentimes uh, in our life, you know how you can tell you're in the hole? When you surround yourself by people that don't drive you to do more for God. You surround yourself by people who enable you to live in apathy. People that always agree with you. People that will never look at you and say, hey, this needs to be different. This needs to be changed. This needs to be straightened up. Hey, I notice you're drifting. Hey, I notice you're not living for the Lord like you used to be. And when we surround ourselves with people like that, it's just a slow drift and descent down into apathy. And that's what David had done. He could stay in that cave forever and never had to worry about mama and daddy. The old king of Moab, he was taking care of them. And oftentimes with us, if uh, listen, if, if serving God doesn't fit into our schedule or our budget, we're just not interested in doing it. You know that giving is measured not by, not by what we gave, but by what we have left. Isn't that what the, the uh, story of the widow's might teaches us? That this widow gave more than all the other people, even though it was far less monetarily. She gave more because out of her penury, out of her nothingness, out of her poverty she gave. God's not interested in how much you can give. He's interested in how much you have left. And we might say it this way. He's interested in what it costs you. Uh, part, part of the time, we think we're serving God if we just stumble into the house of God when it's convenient to do so. Listen, I can preach like that because most of y'all had to swim to get here this morning. Amen? But we think we're really serving God if we show up when it's convenient. What does it cost you to serve God? Put a price tag on your walk with the Lord. What is it? How many hours do you have to give up to serve God to do what you're doing for God? How much money does it cost you to do what you're doing for God? How many relationships or friendships have, has it cost you? How much effort does it cost you to serve God? If it doesn't cost you anything, I hate to tell you this, but your Christianity is cheap. It's cheap. It ought to cost us something to serve God. You say, oh, preacher, I don't know about that. David knew about that later on in his life. He came to buy Ornan's threshing floor. And Ornan said, I'll just give it to you. You want to build a temple there? I'll give it to you. David said, God forbid. It ought to cost me something to get this threshing floor. You know why? Because if something doesn't cost us anything, it doesn't concern us any. It doesn't concern us any. That's part of the reason our society is in the mess it is today. Nothing ever costs anybody anything. Nobody ever has to work for anything. Listen, I know I sound like an 80-year-old man griping and moaning this morning, but there's some truth to what I'm saying, and if you'll abide it, it'll help you. We want this cheap Christianity that fits within our calendar, fits within our budget. i got news for you. That's living in the hold, friend. And you think it's a safety net, but what it really is is a snaring net. Because one of these days you're going to stand before God and realize you've done the sum total of nothing because it didn't cost you anything. It didn't cost you anything. I noticed this morning the lore of this cave. Now I want you to notice a few other thoughts and we'll close. Not only do we see the lore of this cave, but I want you to notice the limitations of his comfort zone. There were some things he could not do in the cave. And I want you to notice three of them. Notice, number one, that the throne was not in the cave. And you say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, you've got to remember the, the story of Jacob's life. Or uh, Jacob, listen to me. The story of David's life. Samuel had already come to David and anointed him to be the king of Israel. God had already, by this point, determined that Saul was not going to be the king of Israel. So what was waiting? The only thing that they were waiting for was for David to come and claim his throne. He could be in the cave, but he wouldn't find the will of God for his life there. 
There are some things you cannot do while trying to maintain your comfort and convenience. It's amazing to me, man. You know, we'll read stories about missionaries, all the sacrifice that they gave. We'll hear, you know, we'll read about Adoniram Judson, lost like three wives on the mission field, was beaten half to death in Burma and still said that the future is as bright as the promises of God. And we'll say, oh, I want to live like that. But the alarm clock rings and it's time for Sunday school and we're hitting a snooze. Something's wrong. I'm just being honest. Rainy day. It's an honest day. What does it cost you? If you won't pay ten minutes of sleep to get to the house of God, what makes you think you'll ever do anything for Him? Listen, if you won't pay at least ten percent, and by the way, we're doing good, man. Tides are good, right? We just put 27000 into a building fund. I ain't up here preaching this because tithes are bad. I ain't up here preaching this because I'm mad about something. I'm preaching this because we need to hear it this morning. If your walk with God is not worth 10%, then what do you think it is worth? I'm just saying, if we're going to act this way, we need to start being honest. And we need to start being forthright. You see, we find that he couldn't get to the throne in the cave. He had to leave the, the, the cave to get in the will of God. And we're not going to get in the will of God until we're willing to say, Lord, I'll go places that I'm not comfortable going. I'll give more than I'm comfortable giving. I'll witness more and to, to, to people that normally I would not. I'll serve more than I have ever served before. We're not going to find the will of God until we're willing to get out of the cave. Not only was the throne not there, notice number two, the throng was not there. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, David did have some people in the cave. But the people whose lives he was called and commanded to change... We're not in the cave. He had people he had already won in the cave. This is something, this is part of the problem with churches today. And I preach against big churches. Can I preach against small churches? Here's part of the problem. We only want the people that are in the cave with us. But the reality is the people that need what we've got, they're outside the cave. The nation of Israel, they weren't all in that cave. If we're going to touch people's lives, we've got to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to be willing to go farther and do more. We've got to be willing to quit saying, well, that's good, preacher, but it's not for me. I don't have time. My life is X number and Z, and I can't do it. We've got to start saying, I don't care what anyone else does. I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to serve. If no one else is, I'm willing to do it. We see the throng was not in there. He couldn't touch people's lives in that cave. Notice number three, the thrills of life were not in there. Well, I bet it was boring, sitting in a cave. Staring at the wall. You know, David might have said something like this. He might have said, if this is what it's like to be the king of Israel, I'm not interested. Here's the only problem. That's not what it was like to be the king of Israel. That's what it was like to be a fugitive, running from God and running from the will of God and hiding out in a cave. You know what we're saying today? We're living, we're living a half-baked Christian life. We're living a life that's half-committed. And then we're saying... Well, boy, it's tough being a Christian. Boy, it ain't no fun. I got news for you. Don't expect to have any fun until you sell out and give your heart to God. He couldn't, you know, he would go on to do some great things, David would. He would go on to see God answer in mighty ways. He'd go on to, to, to prepare the way for the temple of God being built. He would go on and God would use him uh, to bring the Ark of the Covenant home and to worship in the presence and glory of God. But none of that could happen in the cave. He had to get out of the cave if he was going to enjoy all that God had for him. And i got news for you. Part of the reason we're so miserable, because if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. 
And part of the reason we're so miserable is we ain't really living for God. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have hard times. I'm not saying you're not going to have down days. I'm not going to say that you ain't going to have... I mean, hey, listen, Elijah was living for God, and he crawled up under the juniper tree. Just because you're saved and living for God, that don't mean there won't be some juniper trees growing in your backyard. I I know that. I'm, I'm aware of that. But I don't think our problem today is that we're so committed that we're being crushed under the weight of Satan's persecution. I think the problem with us today is we're so apathetic and noncommittal that we don't ever even get to taste of the fruit of the land of Canaan. We sit back and complain about giants instead of like Joshua and Caleb saying, did you see the size of those grapes? Did you see the milk and honey? Instead, we're saying, well, there's giants. There's giants. Yeah, there's giants, and God's bigger than all of them. Well, yeah, you know, preacher, I couldn't ever witness like that. Why? Why? Give me one good reason why you couldn't witness. Well, preacher, I just I don't speak real well to people. Neither did Paul. He wrote 14 books of the New Testament. Grabbed two continents and shook them. What, what's your excuse? What's my excuse? Well, preacher, I just ain't got time for that. Is that really the best excuse you can get? What are you doing that you believe is more valuable than that which reaps eternal dividends? I'm just merely saying, if we're ever going to enjoy the Christian life, we're going to have to get out of the cave. Let me give you a final thought, and I'm done this morning. Not only do we see the lore of the cave and the limitations of his comfort zone, but I want you to notice the land of his calling. Look at verse 5 again. The Bible says, And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. By the way, do you know that the word Judah literally means praise? If he ever wanted to enjoy his walk with God, he had to get out of the cave. If he ever wanted to praise God in joy and rejoicing and jubilation, he had to get out of the cave. For the land of Judah, I think, meant a few things to David. I would say, number one, that when God got him out of the cave, He was calling him into a place of service. He was going to be king. He was going to labor the rest of his life to please the Lord and to lead the people. And here's the truth. If we're going to serve God, it means just that, serving God. Don't expect to get right with God and it not to involve serving Him. God is calling you and I to serve Him. Now, you may not serve Him like I do. I may not serve Him like you do. I know that. And we all understand that. You know, I think 90% of a preacher's message is contained in surgeon's general warnings about his statements. I get it. You get it. Not everybody's going to be able to run, you know, a marathon for Jesus. I understand that. But everybody can take steps and everybody can do something. It's going to mean service. I would say that this was a place of service. I'd say, number two, it was a place of strife. You'll actually see, if you continue reading on in the chapter, that things did not go exactly well for David over the next few verses. Now, we know David's life, of course, did change later on. But look what it says in verses 6 through 8. The Bible says, When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. There is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Now, that's what we call a tantrum. All right? That's what Saul's doing. He's saying, everybody's against me, you're against me, you, you won't tell me the truth, blah, blah, blah. Look down what it says in verse number 16. The Bible says, And the king said, and he's speaking uh, unto Ahimelech, the high priest, 
And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Here's what happens. Saul realizes that David's hiding. Uh, he realizes that David has been spotted in Judah. And in his anger, he does two things. One, he renews his pursuit of David. And two, he takes out vengeance upon those that have been kind to David. i got news for you. You get out of the cave, it's a place of strife sometimes. It's a place of difficulty sometimes. Sometimes leaving the cave places a target on your life. And Satan tries to destroy you. You say, what do I do, preacher? You trust God. This is a faith thing, right? You trust God. God did not allow Saul to conquer David. And God won't allow Satan to conquer you if you'll stay faithful to him. But not only did it put a target on his life, it put a target on his loved ones. Uh, when, he, when he got out of the cave, and here's, here's a good indication. You say, preacher, how do I know if I'm in the cave or not? Are you dealing with persecution? Is Satan trying to stop you? Is Satan trying to afflict you? Yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If things are all roses, chances are that there's something in your life that's wrong. It's a place of strife. But then notice finally, and I'm done this morning, it's a place of submission. What was he going to do? He had to serve God. He didn't want to do that. I believe that. But he was afraid of Saul. You know what he had to do? He had to say, Lord, I don't understand all of it, but you've sent your word by the prophet Gad. And so though I do not want to leave this cave, I will leave this cave because this is what you have commanded. You know how you get out of the cave? You lay your will on the altar. And you say, it ain't about me. It's about serving God and living for Him. Now, you've got a choice this morning. You can sit there if you want. And I'm not saying this to pad the altar. If God didn't speak to you, don't move, by all means. But if God spoke to your heart this morning, you've got a couple choices. You can sit there in the cave, and things will stay the same. And you'll go on, and you'll live your life, and one of these days you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and God will strike a match to your life, and you'll watch day after day burn up into nothing, because it was all spent in just comfort and convenience, just doing what was easy. Or you can make your mind up that no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, you're going to rededicate yourself afresh and anew to serve God. You have a choice. Here's the question. Are you going to stay in the cave or are you going to get out and do something for God? With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.